is yarn is yarn and the way we use it is the way we use it and they should be honored for how we use it and why we use it as opposed to the fact that like you're using two sticks and I'm using a hook and so I think I answered your question. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. I, I was just, I was hoping there would be like, somebody would be like, and then. Oh, okay. I can jump in. <laughs> Hello, makers. Welcome to Making Conversation, a podcast where we chat all about making, the app and the act. I'm Jen, head of marketing at Making. My pronouns are she, her, and my making app username is Knit Pearl. We are about to fully launch the marketplace on the making app. So if you just randomly found this podcast and you don't know what I'm talking about, um, hi, we're Making, and we have an app for makers, crafters, and artists. It is a social marketplace app. Designers have been able to sell their PDF patterns, and we are about to like amp up the marketplace, meaning you will be able to also sell handmade goods and supplies for makers to create with. So I wanted to bring on some of our besties here at Making, people who run businesses, people who run groups for people who run businesses, and just all around magical humans and talk about pricing because I think that it is a very scary conversation to have for a lot of people. You know, the more that we talk about it, the less scary it is. So welcome everybody. Thank you for joining me. Thank you Thank for you. having me. Thanks for having us. We're going to start <laughs> off by having everyone introduce themselves. Quaylen, would you like to begin? Uh, I guess. <laughs> My name is Quaylen Stark. A lot of people know me as Quo. And I do a lot of fiber arts design. And I also do videos for companies on social media. So I started designing and doing social media kind of things whenever I was 19 years old. And I started with Red Heart designing for them. And now I've done a lot of things for making michaels all pretty much any magazine you could think of for fiber arts i probably worked with them um nitpicks bernina clover all of the fiber arts places and i spend most of my time working with companies on the patterns so it's not necessarily designing things for myself though i do have a personal brand of patterns um, but the revenue that i kind of get is really from those freelance patterns and social media posts. My name is Terry Streetman. I am the owner of Peregrine Woodshop. I make handmade wood goods for the home and office, um, mostly home decor, kind of smaller pieces, um, some live edge furniture, and then some accessories like anxiety fidgets, plant propagation stations, kind of just wherever my little ADHD brain takes me. Um, I have been making for um, three years really seriously now, um, and since I started the company. Um, I was inspired by my grandfather, who was an incredible woodworker and maker of all sorts, literal rocket scientist, smartest person I've ever known, wanted to follow in his footsteps, which set me on this journey. And now I'm still kind of just trying to find my way, um, chasing my passions of, of what I like to make at any given time. For me, I do a lot of my sales online on marketplaces and also in person at market events. And so I've struggled throughout my time doing working with pricing and how to price for different markets and different customers. Um, and so, again, still finding my way there, but um, definitely something that I've, I've struggled with over the years. Hi, my name is Brittany Garber. I'm the crochet designer behind Not Bad Brit. 
I'm um, also a stay-at-home mom of three. I've been designing since about 2019 after becoming a pattern tester. In addition to being a crochet designer, I also uh, manage what's called the Makers of Color Collective. It is a directory of BIPOC members of the fiber industry, where the point is that you can find other makers that look like you. So it's very important to me that people can find their own people. And when I had a difficult time doing that, when I entered the industry, I decided to create the Makers of Color Collective so that I could highlight and promote others that you know, look like me. In addition to that, because why not have a lot of things that you do, right? Um, it's very important to me to uplift the craft of crochet itself and find some craft equality in this business as well. So I talk a lot about that with my work. And on that end, that's kind of where a lot of my struggles with pricing come, the way that knit and crochet are perceived or as equals or not really varies in this industry. And that's that's kind of a problem. So trying to have it so that they are seen as equal difficulty and equal levels of finery is really important to me. So that's kind of where my position comes from, selling patterns, working with other brands. And um, yeah, that's me. I think I want to start off by saying that like, I don't know any person that has it figured out, right? I mean, I'm not going to talk about this because I'm just here to like bring these amazing voices together and I don't sell things personally. But again, the more that we talk about it, the more that people are going to feel comfortable with the topic, the more that I think we can all as makers um, and then everybody that sells can kind of come to a place of feeling a little bit more confident about pricing. People are too scared to price their items at what they should be because they're afraid that people won't purchase them. And that kind of was into our first uh, topic. So we're going to kind of have like round table discussion. And when I say we, I mean, again, not me, but <laughs> kind of the buyer's learned perception of art versus craft. Now, um, we have had a couple of discussions about art versus craft on the podcast. I will go ahead and link those episodes below if you want to kind of learn about how the differences started way, way, way back in the day. But I think that there's a few things that we can address right now. Let's start with kind of, Britt, what you were talking about, about the knitting versus crochet. Um, and, you know, we're all multi-craftual here. We also want to talk about like woodworking versus fiber art and how things how pricing can be affected by that but also diving deeper into things like when we had our prep call for this terry was talking about how terry doesn't make tables all over the time that's a lot of tea terry doesn't make tables all the time uh and so pricing his things that are decor can feel a little different and so Let's let's start there. Let's start with that like buyer's learned perception of art versus craft, and then we can dive into each one. The perception of it all, right? There's the the idea that things are handmade versus homemade and craft versus art and hobby and things of that sort. And from my own experience, I typically am given this perception that because I am a primarily crocheter, that what I do is probably more homemade and quote unquote, crafty. Um, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that, of course. But if you look at the things that I've made and the things that I've designed, there's a, there's an elegance and a drape to them that goes beyond just making a like table runner. And there's nothing wrong with making a table runner. But to understand that crochet as a whole is more than just this one 
individualized thing. We've grown past the idea that crochet is more than what your your grandma's blanket that she gave you when you were a kid. We're now making garments. We're now, you know, making pieces that hang on walls. We're now making shawls. We're now making rugs that are just um, not just fantastical, but elegant. And that perception doesn't get applied to crochet as much as it gets applied to knitting. And because of that, the um, perceived skill that's involved and the perceived like amount of the, the the amount that is put into the tools and uh, yarn that you need that you need for those particular projects they don't they don't equate for a lot of people they don't realize that like we use the exact same type of things I also have very expensive tools and I also use very expensive uh, materials to make the things that I make and I also do a lot of work and there's a lot of knowledge behind what I need in order to create the type of product that I want and that's not seen because of this idea of what crochet truly is. And that particular piece, those techniques that I need to learn to be successful and to make what I want to make, people don't know that I need those and I'm looking for those and I'm doing that work. And so they don't have the value behind what it is that I make because of that. Just because there aren't, you know, 511 books about crochet garment design doesn't mean that I didn't read 511 books about crochet garment design. <laughs> doesn't mean that I took a bunch of classes in order to learn grading. Doesn't mean that I spent hours and hours trying to figure out how to make just the right shape. Um, and because of that, people expect my stuff for free, although they can't do it on their own without it. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's so interesting to me, the difference between those two. And I don't, I haven't been in this game long enough to know when things split um, maybe it was when, you know, hand-dyed yarn or dyed yarn in, in, its, in itself became very popular. Maybe it was during that time um, for both crafts, but like as yarn is yarn and the way we use it is the way we use it. And they should be honored for how we use it and why we use it, as opposed to the fact that like you're using two sticks and I'm using a hook. From my experience, I definitely see the like a distinction between knit and crocheters there's always been since i've been in the kind of influency social media side of things in like 2016 is whenever i really got into it there's always been like this like war <laughs> between the two and it's like ridiculous to me because really i mean it's the same exact kind of thing it to me, the knitting and crochet, I do both. I know a lot of people do both now. It just depends on what you're uh, trying to mm -hmm. achieve with a particular project, which would be better. Like, for instance, I love doing crochet cables. I love knit cables as well. But if I want like a structure on a scarf, I'm not going to do a knit cable. I'll gravitate more towards crochet. So it just depends on the project. And I think that a lot of people don't realize exactly what crochet can do because they still have that mentality that it's all just granny squares and doilies and a lot has changed since the 70s whenever it really kind of popped off so that's where I come from in that uh, sort of aspect and also in terms of you're talking about hand dyes I also see that as well especially with I think knitters more so are like 
more particular about their fiber, like what they use. A lot of knitters won't touch acrylic, which is why I try to use like as much acrylic as possible for my knit projects, just to show them, hey, like you can use whatever yarn that you want and it's going to look fabulous if you have some talent on the hands that are actually making the project. And then I also try to Wait, use hold on. That more shot's fancy fired yarns right there. crochet. If you have Hello? the talent, you can use whatever you want. <laughs> That's true. Exactly. I mean, it does not, it does not. And like we were talking about before the podcast started, I use like really cheap makeup too. <laughs> so it's like, if you have talent, you can make whatever supplies that you have work for you. And I think that that is the perception that needs to change within the knitting side of things. They need to realize that crochet is just as impactful. It's interesting the sort of um, gatekeepy, exclusionary, elitist kind of thing that comes along with types of materials that like we see that in woodworking too, where, you know, if you're not working with the finest hardwoods, then it's inferior product. And like, there's so much of that. I think that is problematic when it comes to access to quality materials. And especially, I know that this is a big topic of conversation with knit and crochet with acrylic versus, you know, natural fiber of like, what do you have access to? What can you afford? What can you, you know, find to work with? And so you're shutting people out entirely just because they don't have the means or the access to get the same materials you have, um, I think is a shame. And of course, all of that, I think, also could impact the pricing conversation in terms of cost of materials. But just on the basic level of like, excluding people from a craft just because they don't have access to the same materials, I think it's always so frustrating. And for the pricing side of knit versus crochet, thankfully, I haven't really found personally, whenever I'm working with companies, really a distinct price difference. I think I've seen it like probably $50 to $100 less for crochet pitched to, to me. Um, and whenever that comes back to me, I pitch them right back. Hey, I could do this, but maybe a little bit more money. Because another thing that I wanted to definitely mention to people who are trying to do freelance work for companies is the first price that they send you is not always the price that you have to go with. You can always negotiate contracts. So if you see something like that happening, you can do your best to try to balance the scales a little bit. It's really interesting that you say that, Quillen, because I have definitely seen um, commission requests or like, you know, designer calls or whatnot. Um, I don't know if we're naming names here, but there are companies out there I'm that do names. both, right? <laughs> I have named. Okay, names. we're naming names. Let's name names. Yeah. Question. Why is it that We Crochet Knit Picks has the same theme for a designer call, but the Knit Picks price range that they're willing to pay is higher for the same type of stuff than We Crochet? Make it make sense. Exactly. And I think that that right there is i think crochet designers are kind of like already conditioned to those low ball like offers 
And so they're used to it. They accept it because they want to get the money, which I completely understand. I think that all of us have signed some contracts that we probably shouldn't. Mm. Whenever you're first starting out, it's a lot easier to say yes to something that really isn't in your best interest. But as you kind of progress in your design work and you feel more confident in what you have to offer, it becomes a lot easier to start saying no to those things and really choosing the things that you want to work with. For instance, whenever I started, I did a project for Crochet World, and I think that their pricing for that blanket was $150, and that included me making the blanket, sending it to them, they get to keep the blanket, they get to keep all of the rights to the pattern, and that's it. And to maybe somebody that really doesn't know much about like pricing and that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, well, 150 bucks. That is like nothing. <laughs> so, what? um, what? definitely I... I would. Yeah. It's crazy what? that the prices that get thrown our way, especially whenever you're first coming into it. That's why I try to be as like transparent as possible with my stuff. I know Britt, mm -hmm. you're the same. Oh, yeah. Way. I will talk numbers. Whenever, exactly. Whenever you're open to discussing that, it, not only does it help you out in the long run whenever everybody's getting their prices up higher, but it helps the people that are coming into it that don't know any better. Yes. They don't know, oh, I'm supposed to be pricing my stuff in this sort of way. Because if a company can take advantage of you, they will. And that doesn't go for every company. There are some great companies I've worked with, but a lot of companies, darn good yarn, um, Annie's, any of the Annie's brands for um, the magazines, I would never work with again. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a teacup. This would be <laughs> lunch. <laughs> I have a teacup. There's oh. no tea in it, but that was that was tea, honey. That was tea, oh, honey. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> yes. I think we all have that experience. I remember my first one. I did. I made my my very first true design was a Tunisian shawlette that I did for a local yarn store. And I remember I was thrilled that they gave me $100 for it. And now if someone mm -hmm. asked me to do something for $100, I would say, okay, what would you like? Would you like a gauge swatch? Because that is, <laughs> that is what you're going to get. I think it's important yeah. that we take into consideration not just what we're making, how we're making it, the tools that are involved, the knowledge that you've acquired over time. Like there's so much work that goes into designing that isn't tangible. Um, and not mm -hmm. to mention that, but like, I got three kids. I have to stop doing stuff to do this. And if you have to really value your time in this industry and protect it and put a dollar price on it to make it make sense, because that's the first thing that you're going to lose out on. I can't even imagine designing a blanket for a company because they won't want to pay for it. Like this, that's yeah. it. Like, that's why I don't make, uh, um, I don't do finished commissions for like even family members. I had a, I had my uncle ask me if I would make three shawls and I was like, you can't afford it. <laughs> it's like, they just, I don't, I don't have the time and you can't afford it. Like you don't want to, cause I'm going to say something crazy to you because I have to, so that you know that I'm for real. But I'm happy to like toss you one of my samples when I'm done with it, maybe. Um, you know? <laughs> but my goodness. 
Oh, a blanket for $150. All of this is just <laughs> like, dear God, I'm, wow. I mean, they just saw, I was 19 years old and they, I was submitting my work to them and they were like, oh, this is a 19 year old. He has no idea what these things should be costing. A lot of the times the budgets are very flexible mm-hmm. for the bigger companies and they're going to offer you the lowest amount possible in that first run. And just simply asking for more, they could be like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do it for that amount. And I didn't know that going in. So I lost a lot of money. And I have a lot of patterns that I don't have the rights to anymore that I really wish that I did have the rights to. Or they can now take my name off of the pattern. That's what I think really irritates me the most is whenever I have a really successful pattern like Red Heart's um, Rainbow Throw that I did for them. And now I don't have my name on that pattern. People going to that pattern and seeing this rainbow throw from a queer artist would never know, hey, a queer artist actually made this. This is more symbolic than just like, oh, a little rainbow on a a blanket. Well, now anyone who watches this is going to know. And we will tell. After the rain throw. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But. I don't know. I wish that there was a way that that money, if people wanted to buy it, that that money could go to you and not to Red Heart. Anyways. Based off what Quaylin was just saying with the contracts, that's something that like, I wasn't really prepared for either when I started putting my work in boutiques for commission sales. Um, and, you know, I was really focused on the commission split and how much am I going to get versus how much are they going to keep. And one of the things I didn't realize at first is all the other parts of that contract that I need to be mm-hmm. paying attention to. Do I have to ship things to them? Do I have to pick things up? How long can they be in the store? And I think one of the things I never thought of is like, if something of mine gets stolen from their store, a lot of these contracts get sent to me and they say, too bad. If something gets stolen from our store that we are responsible for, we're not responsible for it anymore. So I've started rewriting those contracts and saying that counts as a sale. If you cannot keep my items safe while they are in your possession, I get paid and you figure out how to deal with it. And again, to your point, Quaylen, the first time a, com- a store said, hey, we want your stuff in our store, I was so over the moon that I just signed it and gave it back. And I was like, oh, so you're keeping 45% of the cost of my items and basically selling it wholesale. And also, if your store burns down tomorrow, it's I'm out of luck and all my, all my product is lost or somebody walks out with it. And so that kind of stuff, I think I was not prepared for when I first started working in this kind of thing. It's like, there are so many parts of that that will be written way 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 in the company's favor and nothing to do with you that like really take a look at that and to your point also send it back with a revision and see what they say they could say no they could say forget it you don't want to work with them anyway but it doesn't hurt to try that well and i think they're just going to keep doing it until enough people say no we're not working with you if you do xyz because they if they're going to get away with it they're just going to keep getting away with it I think that in some cases, especially in smaller businesses, they do what they see other people doing. And so by making small adjustments that make the relationship more fair for both sides, makes them an industry leader. Like I can't even, like it's so simple to say something like, oh, well, if there's theft, that's on us. Because like, we in charge of all the rest, rest of the product. Why wouldn't be in charge of yours? And, <laughs> and you know, you you take that, you learn from that, and then you apply it to the next one, and then you get the opportunity to make somebody else's contract better. One of the things mm-hmm. that I struggle mm-hmm. with in this 
industry is that we're consistently working in these silos and we're not talking to each other and we're not sharing what we're doing um, and how we're doing it so that we can all lift each other up, um, which is why I really like this topic, because this is a way for us to do exactly that. Um, it's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why we're naming names and why we're sharing numbers is because if you happen to hear yourself in not the best light, or if you um, realize that we're saying something that wasn't you know, great from the maker standpoint, and you did that, this is your chance to be better for the next person. Anybody can legitimately come into my DMs and ask me, hey, I heard you worked with this person. How much did they pay you? I will straight up tell you. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why I shouldn't mm -hmm. because that company should be proud for what they paid me. And frankly, so should I. And the next person should get more. <laughs> oh. mm -hmm. I completely agree. And also to your point with the small businesses, there really is no excuse for the big yarn store brands and like pattern magazine brands to not pay more because for me, any place that I've worked with, it's always the smaller businesses that have paid the most for me. Like whenever um, Making was still doing the Bright Collective and the magazine, Making and Natrino also, those are the two places that have paid me what I was worth the most um, for garment designs, which I think I got like 900 at Natrino for a sweater pattern. And I think that whenever I got onto Bright Collective was right whenever they were changing their pricing like module. And that was also, I think, $900, which is what really realistically you should be paid for a garment design. And for a bigger company like an Annie is to be throwing out these like really, really low numbers is really insulting. And they're just taking advantage of pattern designers. Which <laughs> let's not do that, people, okay? I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I didn't I actually didn't have anything to do with the payments of Bright Collective, but I do know that there was a lot of discussion behind the scenes and Carrie and Ashley have always been very um, you know, pro paying top dollar for anything that people have created for us. Yeah, and that's why I love working yeah. with y'all. <laughs> y'all pay what people mm -hmm. are worth. And a lot of companies uh, don't have or don't try to do that. And it's always the bigger companies. It, it really is. is always the bigger companies that try to undercut as much as they can. Yeah. They want to pay you less, keep it forever, and then strip you of it entirely. They want to make it as exactly. generic as possible. And oftentimes they'll even try to have some input on what the design is and what it looks like to completely wa wash your um, special sauce, your je ne sais quoi, completely off mm -hmm. of it. And I, I, I do not care for that. <laughs> no, I feel like as a crocheter, sometimes we get so excited to just be, you know, just to be nominated is just, <laughs> no. So I've had to myself, like, reel it in, Britt, like, take some steps back. Remember, you can't pay bills with um, compliments, right? So to remind ourselves, we need to get back to the nitty gritty of it and go back into the details and read over everything and make sure that we're being paid a wage that we're comfortable with. 
And I do understand, you know, not not asking for too much because you're a little nervous. But every time you go back into a new negotiation, whether it's with the same company or with another company of maybe like equal levels, ask for more. And I, I truly struggle okay. with this. I'm in it right now. There's an email I need to get back to right now that I am. <laughs> I need to ask for more for And I'm going to. But it, it's hard. It's difficult. Um, yeah. Because this isn't just something that we do because we got to pay bills. We also really love it. And it, it is a craft and it started as a hobby and it, it brings me as much joy, but I can't pay bills with joy and you are buying something from me. So we want to make sure. Wouldn't that be great, great if we can pay bills with joy? Capitalism ruins everything. <laughs> I would be rich if I could. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's, let's go into numbers. Let's like talk details here. I think people tuning into this, people who are wanting to figure out what to price their services or patterns or finished goods. Talking details is important and being straight up with numbers. I think I've made this clear, but like I'm still kind of finding my way when it comes to pricing. And so when it comes to numbers, you know, I've I've tried and my, my wife always pushes me to like charge what you're worth and especially for my time. And, and the pieces that I make are not cookie cutter commodity pieces. They are individual pieces that I make that are an expression of my creativity and my art. Um, and I think the struggle is even when I'm like, okay, then I'm going to charge. And this is going back from when I started 20, 30, $40 an hour, whatever it is for the making part. I've done that, but then I've been either hesitant to, or completely forgotten to include material cost and cost of my time or, you know, or I've charged for the time, but not my time of designing the piece or researching the piece. I've taken commission pieces that are brand new to me that I've never made before. And I'll spend a few hours researching and getting design inspiration and going in and sketching them out in 3D and getting all my measurements and then completely forget to charge for all that. And some of that is, Brittany, to your point, I enjoy doing that part. That's fun for me. So I'm like, well, why would I charge for that? Because it's part of, it's part of what they're paying for. It should be. Um, and so I was, you know, I early on was saying, okay, I'm going to charge $20, $25 an hour for my, for my time. And it became clear that that, especially if I'm just counting the time I'm working on the project, it's not enough. It's not enough for my time. It's not enough, Brittany, to your point of the time that it took me to learn these things and the tools that I had to buy for, for these woodworking projects. My bandsaw was almost $10,000. That's a lot of money, <laughs> right? Like that is that's got to factor into what I'm charging, what I'm asking people to pay for these projects. That's my struggle is like trying to, you know, have the numbers. I still haven't really figured it out because every time I do another commission, I'm remembering another part of that process that I should be working in there. And then overcoming that imposter syndrome, that's part of that of, yeah, but I can't charge $50 an hour for my work. Who am I? I'm just a guy working on wood stuff in his garage. Well, yeah, and somebody asked me, to make this thing. I'm not just some guy. I'm the guy they asked for this thing that they want. They came to me for a reason. Um, so that's my struggle. That's where I'm aiming for is getting to the point of like really valuing my time at that level, not pricing based on an, an online market <laughs> that uh, tends to have an effect of driving prices down. Not the one that is coming out soon, but the one we're all, you know, a lot of us are on currently Etsy since we're naming names. 
uh, has, <laughs> has had a pretty negative effect on my pricing um, because I'm pricing by comparison and not by what I'm worth and by what my time is worth and my research and my tools and my knowledge. Uh, so kind of a roundabout answer with some numbers thrown in there. But truly, I think I, if, if nothing else, I can be the example on this podcast. <laughs> I was, man, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Because we've talked about this. People are afraid to even bring this up. Nobody wants to be the guy who's like, oh, I don't, I don't actually know what I'm doing when it comes to pricing. Even the people who know what they're doing sometimes don't know what they're doing when it comes to pricing. So, you know, we're all figuring it out. But that's, that's where I'm aiming is, is to have a more reasonable evaluation of my time and skills um, and remembering all the parts of that process. I touched briefly on pricing for like freelance patterning. Um, I love charging $150 for a blanket, as you all know. (laughs) (laughs) I would not now do uh, like a simple pattern, anything like a cowl or beanie or scarf. I wouldn't do any of that for under like 250 bucks. And that's like the lower price range. Um, And also with that, I would also need to keep the rights for the pattern. I think that a lot of times when, when you're getting into designing, you don't really think about the fact that a lot of the contracts say that they get to keep the pattern rights for your projects. And so like half of my stuff when I was getting started, I don't own anymore. And I think that that is something that I had to like really just let go because it was a learning experience for me at the time. And now I'm not going to ever let go of those rights unless there is a hefty price tag attached to that going forward. And as far as the social media side of things, because I haven't really talked about that much yet, um, I do a lot of user-generated content on TikTok or Instagram. And that basically is me filming videos for companies that they post on their own accounts, not on my personal account, though I can do that just posting on my own account as well. Um, And for those, usually the going rate depends on if it's a small business or a larger company. So if and it also um, depends on how regularly they're hiring me. So if I have like a contract in place with a company for a month to month basis, filming like four or five videos a month for them, then it would be like, if it's a 30 second video around a hundred dollar range. Oh my God, there's a fly that keeps flying around I'm me like, this what whole is time. That? It's been <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> so humiliating. <laughs> No, but um, <laughs> that's the star of the show today. I know, Jen, I'm sure you've just been watching the fly the no, whole time. No, I actually didn't no. see it until um, right now. So just but... so you know, I haven't been seeing the fly until just that moment when it was like, it's my turn. <laughs> it's like the ring. You're just going to grab at the screen and it's going to come out. <laughs> You're just going to pick it up off the screen. For like a small business, if I'm consistent with posting with them, it would probably be around the $75 to $100 range for a 30-second video that's really like a more comedic kind of video. Um, But for a larger business, it's usually like the $1,000 to $1,500 range. And whenever it's Pride Month, 
the rate goes up by threefold. <laughs> because if you're going to like try to commodify my experience, that's fine, but you're going to pay for it. So like I just did a video Pride Month that was $6,000. A lot of the time, it's also like feast or famine with that kind of stuff. So I might not get a lot of videos for a couple months, but then all of a sudden, like I have three or four that add up. So it kind of evens out, but definitely don't settle for less. You can always ask for more in your contracts. Can I just say that I'm so thrilled to hear that you charge double and add tax for Pride <laughs> Month? Because I tell people like, typically for me, um, for those of you who are listening, I am a black woman. When you come for me in February and June, like I don't, if I don't hear from you during in any other time, I won't even work with you. I typically don't do anything for Black History Month because like I'm black every day. So it's kind of always a celebration in this house. I take Juneteenth off. So yeah, if I were to have to like create content for you to say and have it perceived that you are contributing to this community, my community, like you are going to pay for that. You are going to pay to put my face mm -hmm. on something. I think what just happened right now is you just gave me the permission I was looking for to be able to do that. So I want to thank you because I've been staying away do from it. doing it because I, I'm so concerned with the performativeness from some brands, but there are some other brands out there mm -hmm. that like want to work with me for me and not, and don't just want to work with me, uh, during February and June. I would say the exactly. making app is definitely one exactly. of those. So <laughs> I agree. That makes a big difference. The, the one that, that works wants to work with you all the time. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm sorry. I should be very clear. All of the time. Making all of the time. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love y'all. No, no, no. You're good. I just wanted to uh, make sure since we were naming names and all. Yes, yes. <laughs> Ooh, yes yes i did want to circle back around to what terry said uh, with the contracts which was like a couple topics ago but i think that it is important <laughs> you need to pay attention to all parts of the contracts the devil really is in the details for instance i had a contract with darn good yarns in place that was for a year subscription box thing and First off, I should have just not taken it in general. It was in the height of the pandemic. So I like was really trying to make it work financial wise. I asked for, I think, $100 per pattern, which was really un undercutting myself anyway. But they countered with $50 per pattern. And I signed the contract anyway, because I really needed the money. Um, so I think it was like a $1,000 contract or something like that. And... Later on, I realized after I'd sent the first two projects in that in their contract, they had all these stipulations about me canceling this contract. If I canceled, I had to do this and this and whatever. And they didn't have anything on their end. So they actually found somebody to do it cheaper than $50 a pattern and canceled my contract after the first two patterns. So that kind of thing is like, if I had known writing my contracts, I could have adjusted that contract to be like, 
you know what, if you cancel, you need to give me 50% of whatever the cost of the full contract is, that kind of thing. So just be aware of all the details in your contract. It's not just about the payment itself. It's about what's going to happen if they have to cancel. What's going to happen if I have to cancel or cancel? Is there going to be um, something that I'm going to have to do financially? Is there going to be something I have to do legally? Like I'm bound to be doing this. They really like to sneak things in there. All the bigger companies have more like legal counsel. So they're going to like slither in and <laughs> try to get some uh, whatever they can out of you. So you just really need to be careful with any contract that you sign. Maybe this is a silly question. Is there a place anywhere where there's like, here's what you should look for? Because I, as small business people that any payment to a lawyer to look over a contract is like for like really big things, you know, because it's that can get expensive mm -hmm. too. I was just to say, I like that was after I signed my first one and I was like, hey, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't in my best interest. It's so basic, but just like I did some Googling and found a couple resources of like, here are things to look for in consignment contracts or whatever it was um, that gave me some some good places to look. But I think as we've talked about, even with the pricing, like this kind of conversation is really useful because, you know, any any given website could be for, you know, consignment for your old clothes or whatever. And it's not the same. It doesn't have the same kind of implication on your work. This kind of com conversation and hearing and learning from other makers who have done it, I think, is more valuable than any resource that I found online. To your point, I think that the best thing is to Google if you ever have a specific question. But for fiber arts in like specifically like knit and crochet i know that there is a um couple groups on ravelry that discuss it like if you have questions you can submit it to them and there's a lot of lawyers that are knit and crocheters that's a lot of overlap there and they'll look it over and answer any questions not as your like legal counsel but just like giving you advice and i've looked it's been very helpful for me in the past um, I know there's one specifically called Copyright Matters, mm -hmm. and there's a couple other ones floating around out there. Definitely had some light bulb moments when you were sharing that story. I've, I have heard of people working with that company before, and there have been some issues with it, and they've, um, I definitely dodged a bullet by not accepting it, clearly, even, even more so now after hearing that. Yeah. And that's just unfortunate for so so many reasons. I feel very lucky that when I kind of just just jumped in, decided to start designing, that I surrounded myself with people that would be honest with me and like share their experiences with me. Because you can't, I can't Google what I'm looking for all the time. There aren't blogs written about this stuff. And as y'all are talking, I'm like, Britt, write this blog about this stuff. Because people <laughs> need it. And one of the reasons why people think that our industry is so saturated is because anybody can do it but that also means that anybody can be taken advantage of um mm -hmm. and if we don't we don't know what we don't know and i can't imagine someone taking on a year-long contract to make 12 different designs of any size for less than a hundred dollars like i can't i i mean no <laughs> please everyone out there yeah. don't do it a hundred dollars is too low it's too, you yeah. i need to be looking at Contracts need to be in the multiple thousands. The perception of the buyer can't also be the perception of the maker. 
you have to know your worth or there's never going to be a level of being able to charge what should be charged that will be acceptable because there will always be somebody who comes in down here and that's not cool either. Yeah. Well, and that's where gatekeeping only hurts the people doing the gatekeeping. If you're holding this information tightly and not sharing it with people who are new to whatever your respective craft or field is, then that's the person who's going to be driving everybody's prices yeah. down. It's not intentional, and I don't want to shame people who don't know any better because I've been very recently that guy, I'm sure. But that's why these conversations and like not keeping information to ourselves is so helpful because you'd like to believe it and it does on an individual basis that like the companies who do it right get people coming back and so that means that they're going to do better but there are enough companies and there are enough new people Brittany to your point coming into this that just raising up the ones who do it right and and coming back to them isn't going to be enough we have to also help raise raise that floor with the folks who are coming in on our side Okay, before we go totally into that space, because I have I have questions. Brett, <laughs> how do you specifically think about, you know, your pricing with details and numbers and stuff? Okay. I have a lot to say about this, so I'm sorry in advance. Never be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of different things that happen in my industry. There are the things that are free, the things that are paid, and the things that are perceived to be free. And I'm specifically talking about patterns themselves, digital patterns, right? So I'm kind of coming from a realm where I don't provide free patterns. If I do, it's very one-off. Um, and they're meant to be as an example of what my pattern writing style is and um, how to learn how, you know, just... My patterns are and like it's a gift right i don't do a lot of patterns written out on my own website with ads that's the perceived free right you go to a blog you've got the pattern but every 15 lines is a humongous ad that makes it very difficult for you to read and look people need to make their money and i totally get that and this industry has been a lot around a lot longer than i have and if that's your business model and it works for you more power to you. I'm glad that you were able to figure out a way to make the money the best way that works for you. Um, for me, what ends up happening is because they can get a pattern that is similar, um, allegedly, um, to mine for free because they didn't have to get a credit card um, to pay for it, they are then expecting my, my stuff to be free. My stuff is never going to be free. I don't have the time or desire to be a full-time blogger. And I put a lot of my time into building community and designing. Those are my loves. I like to talk and I like to make things. So I have to make sure that when I'm pricing things out, that the value is still there. So for what I've done for now, and I'm not saying that this won't change because you got to evolve, it's called growth. Um, my patterns are on a very particular like regiment, right? So all of my shawls are $8. When I first got jumped in, they were seven, but I got better. So my prices went up and they'll go up again <laughs> because cost it goes up with high inflation be coming for you. My hats and cowls are, um, actually my hats are $5 and my cowls are $6. And those are the 
three big categories that I have um, on my website right now. The, those majority of the things that I make. So you know coming in, that's what you're going to pay. But there's also this thing that I've done, which is a pay what works scale. And it's an interesting experiment, right? So basically all of my patterns are available for um, 25% off or 15% off based on a code. But you have to join your girl's newsletter to even get them codes. Them codes also, they not free. Um, <laughs> you have to have some buy-in. We have to be homies. But the idea is you have the ability to purchase things at a lower price because that's all that you can afford right then. But here's what I'm finding in the industry. They don't use those. People don't use them. So now I'm at this point where I'm considering removing them from my website and removing that offer because the people that are using them, it's not that they don't deserve to use them, but there's just so few that the labor that is involved with creating and maintaining these discount codes and making sure that everything's up to date, like year over year, in every place that my my things are sold becomes cumbersome. And then it doesn't become worth it for me to do it because now it costs more for me to maintain that. I know for a fact that my industry does rely on discounts. They like to have things at a lower rate at certain times, whatnot. Like that's just kind of how a lot of things work. I don't know if that's a crochet thing, to be honest. It could be. I don't see as many discounts that are offered in the knit world, but it is what it is. I want to continue to see my stuff made in this world. So I want to make sure my pricing is conducive of that. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm being paid a, a fair wage and making money back on these patterns. There are patterns that I've made from the very beginning that I have not made money on. This top that I'm wearing, I've designed and will be my first garment. I'm already struggling with what to price it at because it won't be $8. There's thousands of dollars that's been put into this design this year alone. And that's not even counting the yarn, right? So in order for me to think it through and to make it make sense without scaring away um, customers, I have to really kind of do the reverse math to make that, to make that work. And I, that's why I struggle with not just pricing my own patterns but also what other people are pricing theirs at. I've seen garments out there in the world that are for free. And I'm like, girl, how? I don't, I don't understand. Um, I, I'm, I'm very curious how it works. I'm very curious why. Um, and so I do a lot of work with just researching the market. I'm on Ravelry every single day, multiple times a day. Don't, don't, don't at me. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking at the market. <laughs> I'm seeing who's selling what, how they're selling it for what, and you know, how things are changing because I want to be competitive. I don't just look at crochet stuff. I look at knit as well, because I do see them as equal and I do want our prices to be seen as the same. So you will never see me have a, um, a pattern that is less for $5 because that's basically for free. Like if, if we go into the fees, the credit card fees and the processing and the hosting and all that, I've just made two cents if I'm selling you something for that low. And that's what we have to think about when we're making these prices. It's a digital product. Like, yes, you make it once and it's there in perpetuity, but I have to support it for as long as I'm here. And there's costs for that. Mm -hmm. So 
like I said, I had a lot. I have a lot to say about it. I think about pricing <laughs> a lot. I encourage everyone who's listening, if they're selling something, increase your prices by 25 cents at least and carry on. And don't make a big deal about it. Just just do it. Tell no one because that's not for your customers that have already purchased a the thing. They they already got it at that price. That's great. That's gravy for them. But the next person should probably pay a little bit more. I bet you're better now. I bet you're a better designer than you were two years ago. And people should pay for that. Like, I don't see why not. That's it. <laughs> I have a feeling that that's not it, but I love that it's not it. So at what point do you reevaluate your prices then? Yearly, at least. At least. I think it's important to have an assortment of items that speak true to you. And if there's something that's in your arsenal that no longer um, resonates with who you are as an artist anymore, take it down because that's fine. Um, you want to present yourself through your work um, as truly and as honestly as you can. And think about raising your prices when things become more difficult for you, when your materials go up. We, I mean, if you haven't raised your prices since the pandemic, a whole dollar. <laughs> Everything has gone up. Milk is $6. Like, come on. <laughs> you have to. Mm -hmm. um, because this isn't cheap. Like, it's not cheap. I feel like, because we're going to have multiple types of people watching this and listening to this, right? Uh, or at least I hope so. So, I, you know, we're going to have plenty of people who are selling things, whether it be services or patterns or finished goods or supplies but also makers who buy the things. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to know is what can those of us that do not sell the items, what can we do to change this perception of art versus craft? Um, you know, Terry, you were talking about how it's hard in the streets of Etsy because... <laughs> <laughs> of how mm -hmm. the makers there seem to, you know, not everyone, but um, plenty of people, I'm sure, sell too low. But what can mm -hmm. we do as people purchasing or supporting you do to change that perception? Change your expectations a little bit as a buyer. We've been programmed by this point by Amazon and Etsy and all of these online marketplaces to expect free shipping and two-day shipping. And like, neither of those things is free to us as the maker that's that's your time that's running to the post office every other day or whatever you might have to do that's all the shipping costs um so not expecting that and and i'm not perfect either lord knows i buy supplies on amazon and i buy things from etsy making a conscious effort even just to be aware when we do those things as consumers of only looking at things that offer free shipping or only looking for you know the cheapest item that may be, if you're on Etsy, from a dropshipper. Of course, they don't have those there, but of course they do. Oh, they do. Um, I'm, you know, let's, we're naming sure. names and we're calling it out. They have dropshipping. Yeah, I think just just making the effort to be intentional about your purchasing and to be aware of how those expectations have become embedded in our shopping experience of, you know, we go right to those things when we sort and filter and and maybe not do that and take a little more time and understand who you're buying from. And if the vibes are off and it seems like a drop shipper, maybe just push that one aside and look for a real person um, because it's hard. 
I mean, it's hard as a maker, it's hard as a buyer to have the literacy of these systems necessary to understand what's real and what's not is, is difficult. Um, but just being willing to put in that effort and to challenge your own first instinct, I think is a big part of it. Um, and understanding, trying to put yourself a little bit more in the shoes of these real people. If buying from a real person matters to you, the needs of that real person have to matter. And understanding that shipping is not going to be free to them, no matter how much you wish it was and how much the website says it is. That is a person who has to pay for that and has to take that to the post office and buy the shipping materials and spend the time packing it and printing out and writing you a handwritten note on the on the packing slip. Like These are all things that cost time and money. And if that matters to you, then then prove it. <laughs> and and that's maybe a little aggressive for people who are just trying to do their best with the money they have. But, you know, make the effort if it matters to you. I think it just goes with like putting your money where your beliefs are and who you give your money to. And again, there is no ethical consumption within the late stage capitalistic society. However, we do have choices, right? So if you are able to take the extra time to ensure that you are giving your money when it, you are purposefully looking for something handmade or purposefully looking for a certain supply to somebody who has put their heart and soul into it. I mean, think about how much heart and soul you put into your own items. Like, why, like when you can, buy supplies that reflect that same thing, right? And And when you can give gifts to people, buy gifts that reflect that same thing. And I think that that is just a way that we can kind of take this put your money where your mouth is thing and extend it past just you know political beliefs or whatever it is that you're that you're focusing on i think that terry said something really important um which is that there are people behind these brands like individuals especially when you're working with a smaller business i don't know about y'all but i don't have staff Every email is answered by me. Every comment is done by me. Every post, every video, everything. Um, and that takes a lot. Can y'all hear my kids screaming? That I proves mean, the yeah. point, right? Yeah. We are real people, real, people. real families who are doing Absolutely. this yeah. in our yeah. real life. You don't have to edit it out. It's fine. I mean, I try to be as authentic as I possibly can. Um <laughs> which includes the the hollers from my children because as i said before i'm a stay-at-home parent you see those reels where they're like i'm customer service i'm ceo i'm social media i'm shipping i'm packaging and i'm designing and i'm development yes that's like the real thing so remembering that we're individuals we're in a heart-led industry i i do play on people's heartstrings because what what i make matters to me so I want it to matter to other people as well. Um, so shopping with your heart is totally a thing. Um, and if that's what you want to do, like do it intentionally. You don't always have to buy when somebody has a sale. They sell and get around. You don't have to wait. If you want mm -hmm. something, buy it when you want it. You don't have to buy the thing the second it comes out. You don't. like. And honoring the original price of something or taking the time to tip when you can for when that option is there. And if you can't do things financially, because we not all made of money, despite this real bougie thing we do, like, let's be real. Um, that's just how it is. There's other ways that you can engage, show your enthusiasm and gratitude for the designers and makers that you're with. Engaging with them online, sharing your stuff, 
um, that you've purchased from them or things that you've made by them. Um, liking things, whether it's on, you know, whatever app they're on or whatever directory they're in, um, sending them an email of just saying, I made this and I'm really proud of it. Thanks for designing it for me. Or gosh, just for the love of God, join, join us this email list. Like, let's do it. Like just, you know, join a discord, talk with them and just get to know them. That keeps people like us in this game and, and doing this when we have that feedback, like, I don't know about y'all, but I love positive encouragement. Like, I love it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so it, it helps. So I think, I think that when it comes down to that, um, the, the price of something and the value of something, at least for me, isn't always just the money. Sometimes it's like, is it well received? How well is it doing? Do people even like it? Have I even seen anybody make it? Because maybe I sold 10 of those and I've never seen anybody make it. That happens. And that doesn't that doesn't feel good when you want to, when you're thinking about making the next thing, you're like, but why? If you never mm-hmm. even saw it out there in the world. I want to cry right now. (laughs) (laughs) To your point on not just supporting artists financially, sharing their posts on like your stories, commenting. I like, you know, if you can't give me some money, uh, the next best thing for me is liking my photos and telling me I look pretty, telling me my garments look gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) And just like saving your stuff interacting with an artist really helps them keep going for me a lot like the first few years for me it wasn't money that kept me going working in this craft in this industry it was the interactions i was getting from other people it was really encouraging it's what helped me to step my game up and really become a professional in the industry was all the encouragement that I would get from everybody to continue going on this path. Hey, you're doing great. I want to see more from you. That really means a lot to yeah. artists. Well, yeah, well. money wasn't keeping you going because you made something for $150. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I mean, it's never it, forget. Yeah, never forget. Never, never, never. I have a feeling that this is not the last time that we will ha- talk about this stuff on the podcast. We're going to have more of these conversations. And um, so if you have questions, uh, drop them in the chat. Send us an email at hq at makingco.com. I'll save it for the next time. We did ask if anybody had questions. So I picked out a few to ask because we are short on time a little bit. Let's start with this one. I love this one. Okay. So Bettina, uh, who is zbam.com on the making app. How do you navigate finding a balance between helping people that have questions i.e. not gatekeeping, while also keeping something special to yourself? For me personally, I don't have any problem telling anybody anything that they need to know or want to know, come and ask me. I'm very secure in what I do and what I put out. For me, it's better if someone comes to me with a question and I answer it like wholeheartedly, not holding anything back because it will help them out, of course, But I think that it helps out the industry as a whole, and that would also affect me as well. So I think it's more beneficial to just give out your information freely. 
um, not like your patterns and that kind of stuff, but like your knowledge that you've gleaned throughout the years uh, through the industry. And I know that nobody can do what I do. So I'm not worried about them like taking stuff from me. They, you can have my recipe, but the sauce ain't going to taste the same. Mm. Okay. So <laughs> we've got another promotional video that clip that just came out of that. I think another thing to remember is I, we're just kind of talking individuals now, right? Like if a company comes to you, especially a larger company and they're like, what do you think, you know, tell us about this or how do you do this, et cetera. That's when I think you can jump in and say, okay, well, m this is going to cost my time. So, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Here's my yeah, consulting. Consultation, yes. consultation versus mm -hmm. like helping out an individual in the industry. And I think, again, that's a place where that like having confidence in your knowledge and your abilities, they're asking you for a reason. They want that knowledge. They're going to be willing to pay for it if you, because, you know, that knowledge didn't come to you for free or without any effort um and that's challenging but yeah man if they're asking you questions about your knowledge okay what's it worth absolutely i mean jen knows this i have this aspiration to be an actual crochet consultant for larger companies because a lot of y'all ain't doing it right and it's y'all need help <laughs> and i want to help y'all holla at your girl I would always charge a company for that expertise because frankly, I think I'm worth it. I spend a lot of my time being really good. I'm a nerd about a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, and I pay attention. Uh, and frankly, I'm tired of being left out. So if I can influence something in any way in a positive light that, that you know brings more people to the table and happens to make you more money, but ultimately makes me money, like why not? Now, when it comes to an individual, I'm so happy to help. I enjoy um, bouncing ideas off of people at whatever level that they're at. I enjoy it so much. There's a part of my Discord that is exactly for that, for crochet designers, where we can talk candidly and and discuss things like contracts and deals and collaborations and just saying like, is this right? Am I getting the right thing here? Or I'm trying to make something in this shape. Does anybody have a formula that they can help me out with? Because frankly, that's not the hard part of designing, right? Like, like Quaylen said, like you can have a recipe, but you, the, our sauces are going to taste differently. You might not season your food as well as I do. I probably guarantee it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, when I was struggling trying to make something, my friend just shot me over her pattern so I could learn what I was trying to do and make sure that I didn't have to spend hours trying to get it done because I don't like to do the same thing twice. I like to work smarter, not harder. Um, and I like to, to give that knowledge out to other people because frankly, if, if you're new and you ask the right person the right questions and then you get that knowledge earlier, you have just raised the bar for so many other people and to be mm -hmm. new in this industry. And that also means that like, it's, it's a level setting thing, right? Like, what's that thing what they say? Like, a rising tide lifts all boats. I was I'm just going to say that. Trying to, trying to push everybody mm -hmm. up. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I am definitely the kind of person that feels, like, a little intimidated asking someone a question. And what I've learned 
in these last couple of months, just being out there in the world, meeting people, people, just people, people, just people. And they want to talk and they want, you already have something in common, right? Like mm-hmm. that you already share this passion with someone that you admire. So that in itself can be enough to like open a conversation. That's the thing that I keep coming back to through all this is like find and take advantage of that community element of, you know, ask questions and look for people who are willing to share, you know, who are interested in mentoring and that kind of thing. And if you ask somebody and they're not willing to answer, then those people are not for you. They are not people they're who you losers. need in your circle, in your community. And and Brittany, that's why I, I love so much about what you're doing of creating a community and, and curating a community for folks who have not been able to feel like they have that. Um, because that's, I Jen, you and I talked about this on the last time I was on that community and woodworking. Lord knows there are gatekeepers and there are people I do not want to associate with, but there are people who go out of their way to share knowledge and share advice and help you, like you said, learn that thing that they had to take so long to learn so that we can all start a little further ahead. Find them and ask them, and it'll make such a huge difference. Reach out to people if you see somebody that is successful in what you want to do. It is never a problem to send an email or send a DM to somebody and ask any specific questions. And a lot of the times, I mean, I've I've reached out to a lot of people. I've made a lot of connections through that. And sometimes people won't respond. And if they don't respond and don't get a million DMs a day, it's just they don't respond. They're losers that you don't need in your space. Like you don't want to hang around with those people, those ones that are too cool for school, like they're not the the be all end all the people that you do find along the way that do help you are some of the people that are going to be your biggest champions that are going to always be on your team and i've met a lot of great people specifically like shannon and jason mullet bowlsby have helped me a lot they're two designers um Alex Reynoso was a great help to me. His Alex Creates that was whenever I was getting started, he would help a lot. Um, Shelly Can was great whenever I was trying to get into enamel pin making. So, and those all came from either emails or DMs to those people. So never be scared to message somebody and ask for any advice. I will say um, there are people out there who don't want to share. Just remember that and don't be offended when someone um, says, actually, that's like really personal and, and proprietary to me. I know that there are people out there that don't want to give out their sources because they they immediately see someone else's competition. That happens. That's their choice. Um, I It doesn't feel like any of us here operate that way, but just know <laughs> that, there, that there are other people that do that. Take that for what it is. And just be respectful when you're coming in someone's space, legitimately asking about their business, because it is for them to share or not to share. They might not be ready to share yet. And maybe they're not even confident in being right. So there's a lot in there. You should be able to tell by getting to know someone and what they show you, if that's the kind of person they are, if if they are someone who is willing to assist you with something or not. I think a lot of people like, kind of see what I put out there and go, oh, she's still figuring stuff out, but she's ready to help people. Like, that's the kind of vibe I want to give off. So I do that. Um, but I have friends who don't want to do that. I think as another through line through all of this, both when it comes as a 
consumer of these goods or even as just somebody in the community asking for help to give grace and understand that they may not be not responding because they don't want to. They may be not responding because they're packing orders and taking them to the post office and making social media content. And like, we're all doing our best, especially, you know, the smaller the business, the more demands on the time. So um, be understanding. But absolutely, like if people don't want to, fine, that's their business. But there are people who do. And yeah, just be respectful and understand that you're coming in asking them for things they work for. But if they're willing to share. I would like to challenge the people who aren't willing to share. And obviously, like you said, Britt, there are many reasons why people don't want to share. And that is that is on them. That is, you know, and I'm not saying that it's bad or that there are reasons that 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 shouldn't happen. But I want to challenge the people who don't share to think about how much you could be helping somebody else going back to the the to the phrase rising tide lifts all boats i don't know it just it feels like why not right like it's not like somebody's asking you like yeah i think hey, it's because we were, i think there's too much of that draft you know I, or how I things were conditionally drafted to, yes, to not yes to be honest yes. i think at the end of the day um you know you don't let, you don't let anyone copy off your work like no no thank you it's a group project everyone should be contributing but don't copy off of anyone um you know originality there's there's a lot people thinking that the market is saturated girl if i hear that one more time i was like that's fine but like <laughs> if you if you want me you can find me like i'm not i say this all the time i ain't for everybody i'm really not i'm a very unfiltered person and i will continue to be so so if that's not what you want, that's not what you want. And that's okay. So people just really feel like it has to be theirs. If they found this thing, they're really good at it, and no one else should be able to do it. No one else. And that's that's not really helping anybody because what if there is somebody that can do it better? <laughs> or do You're it not going to hold them back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it, right. someone who is talented will always be talented. And by you not assisting that talented person, you're not going to stop them from being successful because they're talented. They're going to figure mm -hmm. it out. The difference exactly. is that you get to be a part of their story. And to me, that's mm -hmm. far more important because that is helping. That helps more than than me, than you. It helps the community. It helps the industry. I, I just, I don't see why not. But again, it's your choice to be stingy, but that's not my choice. <laughs> Everyone stare at the yeah. camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blind. And then I can't keep a straight face. Okay. We have another question. Um, and I think that we covered a little bit of this, but I'm just going to read it. It's Esther Puente on the making app. How realistic is it for makers to expect to be paid per hour of labor for a finished object? There's a lot of talk about makers asking for a living wage and figuring their time into their pricing that always ends up pricing out a majority of customers. Is handmade only for the elite? How can a maker truly create a living as an artist without either devaluing themselves or catering only to the rich? This is my constant struggle in business, 13 years. And I've done both, but either felt I was working too hard for little, too little money or that I was being a snob and cutting out my own friends and family from being able to afford my work. Is there a different system makers should be using to determine pricing? Now, that was a lot, but 
I feel like part of what we've already talked about does cover some of this, but is there, do you have any other thoughts? Yes. (laughs) 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 I think there's a lot of really cool ways that people are trying to combat this. And I'm going to come at it from like a pattern standpoint, right? So some people have done, which is what I've done, this pay what works, right? So there's just tiers of discounts and they're always available for you at any point in time. Um, There's other people who've been able to create a, a craft fund. So maybe they have a coffee or they have a donation scale where people who do have the means and do care about, you know, craft in the industry and want to provide other opportunities for people who aren't able to afford them at the time goes into a little pool every time something comes out. Um, maybe they offer like five or 10 patterns for free. Maybe there's just a form that you can fill out and say, Hey, I don't have it right now, but I would really like to make this. Can I make this? Um, you know, that is something kind of extra. It's like on the backs of stuff. And I think that's really cool. I also believe that unfortunately as artists, we've kind of settled to not always be paid what we're worth, um, which kind of sucks. Um, a lot of us do this part-time and these kind of conversations are trying to, to change that, but it's a, it is a very slow, slow change. And I do think that we're getting better. For me, that's why I started doing uh, digital patterns rather than selling a million beanies, because I can sell the same beanie over and over. That's the written pattern and people can make it themselves. I think that that, really helps with affordability and keeping costs low for everybody to be able to purchase a pattern rather than a finished garment or um, sample for like a beanie or a cowl, whatever, what Mm -hmm. have you, or wooden um, things. I don't know if Terry, if you've gotten into pattern making for like that kind of stuff, I have no idea how that works, but for me, the patterns have been the best option. Um, I think that it's a constant question of makers, how to price their um, things that they're selling physically. And Mm -hmm. I don't have the answer for that. I think that it is a difficult um, question to ask. Being in a slightly different craft, but you know, similar. And and I have not really gotten into selling patterns. It's something that's um, sort of on the horizon for me. But again, I think this, you know, imposter syndrome is my is my oldest friend um i have this idea that like oh well you know why would i sell a pattern who wants to follow my advice on how to make something i don't even know what i'm doing and that's not entirely true in all cases but um that is something i've thought of in in terms of this question of like how can i offer my creativity to people in a way that is still affordable um and so that i've thought about that with patterns i've also tried to make efforts to make sure that I have things at a variety of price points so that I'm not just selling, you know, $150 pieces or, or whatever it is, or several hundred dollar tables, um, offering things of different materials so that, you know, it's not just the highest priciest materials for, you know, the fidgets that I make. Olive wood is more expensive than say, you know, maple, depending on where, where I buy it and what it's like recently. Um, something I've thought about a lot is like I have, pieces that I've made where there are defects in the material for whatever reason. They dried, 
you know, unevenly or whatever. And there's been a crack that I've fixed and it's there and it's still a fully functional product, but it's just, I call them my scratch and dent items and I sell them for a little bit less, um, just to give the option for folks who maybe can't afford them at full price. But I'm always trying to be cognizant too, of not discounting my work and, and discounting my worth in the process. Um, and so I struggle with that. I offer sales when I can, but I don't want to do it too much because then people expect it and then you only get sales during those events. We've all kind of said this, this is the eternal struggle of people who make things like, I don't want my things just to be available to people who have a lot of money. Um, but I also don't have a lot of money. <laughs> I'm pricing myself out of half the stuff I make, if, if I'm being honest. Um, and then I just try to make make allowances for that where I can what he said always every single time i will say this is one of the reasons why designers right now are diversifying their offering while they're having memberships that are paid while they have these these coffee accounts and these patreons and different ways that their income is being supplemented outside of their design work is because because we're trying to keep a cost that's lower or they're you know out there they're teaching and they're speaking and they're traveling and 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 that's being paid for. And just just know that when they're getting that income on the back end, that that is benefiting, you know, the original product. Um, you know, Quaylen spoke about working with a small business, working with versus working with a larger company. Like those are two different price points that we get to charge for because we can, um, and that needs to be taken into consideration uh, w when you are charging someone something, or you know when when you're consuming something. So it's just another thing to kind of think about. There was one more question that came through on the making app that I just wanted to touch on really quick. So the marketplace, it's not just for makers. So people who are looking for just handmade items in general will be able to access that. And more details will come out, come out about that um, as we start releasing information. But I just wanted to make that clear that um, it's not just for makers. It is a space for makers. It's a safe space for makers. It's a creative space for makers. Um, but other people who appreciate the things that we do can also come and purchase. I am so excited about the marketplace. I want to have more conversations like this as more features come out, etc. I think that it's a really special time for the making app and to be a part of the making app. Because these things like I wrote down five ideas based on like needs that people have in, in the in the community, right? Because that's why we're doing this. We're doing this for the community. So if there are things out there that you all need or, you know, if I had XYZ in my shop, this would be helpful because XYZ, that type of thing. We want to hear all of that stuff because again we're building this for you you can drop a, a comment or a question or you can email us at hq at makingco.com uh keep an eye on you know all of our spaces and sign up for the app now get in there like make your profile post some things and then once the marketplace is ready to go and launch then you'll be able to open up your shop and it'll be really really awesome and you will able to price everything as it should because no drop shipping will ever be allowed on the making up marketplace. Okay. Um, uh, cheers to that. I do want to close out as we do in every podcast episode with a moment of gratitude. 
I'm grateful for a frank and open conversation about pricing. I think that it is a very important conversation to have. And I'm lucky that I got to talk with you all about the pricing so openly. And I think that conversations like this that have happened in the past and that are going forward are going to be very beneficial for makers as a whole. So I'm really excited to see that change within the industry. I don't want to just stop beat, but I do. I am extremely grateful for the opportunity to discuss these topics with other makers because it is a, a subject that we, um, as makers, struggle to talk about and maybe hesitant to talk about. Um, but I also, something that um, Brittany said earlier really got me thinking too about what I'm grateful for is folks who shop from makers and who understand that makers are people behind the screen and um, are willing to go the extra mile to find real people to buy things from. And then the extra mile beyond that to give the feedback and make the post and share the piece. Um, there are things that I've made similarly to what was said earlier that I sent out and never heard back from. And I pretty frequently go, gosh, if that person didn't hate that thing I made for him. Um, and so I, I try to drive it home as often as possible. There, there are real people and real people reactions behind these per- just says when you buy something i i don't think i've ever received a sale notification that i didn't immediately announce to my wife in absolute <laughs> glee um when i get reviews those those really get me through the times where this is not easy um there are reviews i have saved in a folder that are my favorites that make me feel good about what i do so that's what i'm grateful for is the folks who support what we do and not just financially but all the other ways as well I love that. A gratitude folder. That's, that's I'm definitely going to do that. This is just going to sound like I'm, I'm copying Quaylin, but it's really how I feel. I am really grateful for the opportunity to have such a frank and honest conversation with people that I've never talked with before. Um, for me, co-signing is really big. And so being able to hear like, yes, Bert, I also struggle with that. Like, we're going to get through this. And to have these different point of views from not not just someone that I I look up to in this industry, but also someone who is completely left of my industry, however, is just as much of an artist and I can appreciate their work as well. Like knowing that we are in this together and while the price points are different and the finished objects are different and the expertise is different, like we still have the same struggles and we still have things that we can share with each other um, that will help us all. So I'm just grateful for the opportunity for the conversation and um, and the honesty. So thank you, all of you. Thank you all for coming here to have this conversation because the more that we talk about this stuff, like the the better for everyone. So I'm thankful for all of you for taking the time to have this conversation. I'm thankful for our community and we're going to be at Vogue Knitting Live. So if anybody is, else is going to be there, <clears throat> Britt, uh, <laughs> let's hang out. Uh, we're going to be announcing some fun stuff that we're doing, including some like gatherings that we are going to be putting together. So keep an eye out for that stuff. But I'm just grateful that also we can have this online space and then we can come together in real life as well. Thank you again, everybody for joining. I feel like maybe this could turn into like a selling everything. Let's talk about all the things, but the conversation will continue. And I appreciate you all. I appreciate everyone watching. Thank you so much. Go check out the making app, themakingapp.com. 
And um, don't forget to like and subscribe to Making Conversation. Okay. Uh, we'll see y'all in the making. Jen, Quaylen's going to talk now. Just tell Jen. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I just wanted to say for the people who are dying to know, there are two <laughs> flies now. It's oh, not just no. one. And also, anything that I have said is alleged and not to be taken as fact in a court of law. <laughs> he's, he's done now, okay. Jen. I think Quaylin's done now. Well, on our end, Quaylin is swatting yes. down two flies. I'm like, he's just oh, coming God. for me today. I'm gonna have to, like, fuck it. <laughs> Sorry, the, the, the wig has been snatched. Swatter. I can't wait for you to see <laughs> oh, it. That's oh, so good. Oh my god, the fly swatter wig is going to oh, be that was that was good. That's sure. going to get me I'm through. I'm really excited for that. Okay, maybe we should start a text chain. I feel like this needs to happen. Here, I'll... Mm -hmm. Okay, wait, let me, mm -hmm. let, me, let me finish this out. I forgot that we have to finish the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm going to I'm gonna finish this and then I'll stop recording and then you can give it to me. Broadcast okay. that to the world. Um, give the people what they want. Yes, exactly. And Terry's phone number is two zero six. No. Um thank you again everybody for joining. Bye. 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 All right. Stopping.